When you feel like an outsider and you feel stuck or you feel a little bit lost, you know, my advice there would be to find a creative outlet. You know, for me, you know, it was drawing, it was collaborating, it was connecting. Um, for you, if you're out there, it, it might be singing, it might be dancing, it might be coding, it might be reading. It, there, there, there is a creative outlet that you will feel passionate about. That's Chantal Martin, and this is the On Design Podcast. Hi everyone and welcome to the new episode of the On Design podcast. I'm your host, Justina Green. If you're new to the podcast, I'm an illustrator and before that I spent 10 years in design industry in various roles. We meet here once a week to talk to the most exciting people in design right now. It's really amazing to have you on board. And for those of you who are listening regularly, welcome back. You're fantastic as always. <laughs> Today's podcast guest is Chantal Martin who's a visual artist best known for her large-scale black-and-white drawings. Chantelle was born in Thamesmead in London, but she also lived and worked in uh, Japan, where she developed her live drawing performances. And now she lives in and works in New York. What I really love about Chantelle's work is that it's very varied. Um, she does murals, NFTs, and even a fashion collaboration with the North Face. But what I love the most about her and I have a total crush, is her approach to life, to drawing, to creativity. And she has a show in London this month. Um, details are at the end of the episode. Right, there's so much, so much <laughs> rich advice um, in this episode. Let's go. So shall we start about um, the, the kind of at the start of your journey, let's say, <laughs> start in the UK and in Southeast London. <laughs> so yeah. can you tell me and listeners what was your upbringing like kind of growing up as a kid in southeast London yeah. some years ago now <laughs> yeah you know it's, it's a big question and I it's interesting mm. because as we get older you know I feel like we have different impressions of our childhood and my memory of my childhood has, has definitely changed and you know I think we also have a our own relationships to that story and to that narrative. And when I look back now, you know, for years, I was like, you know, I grew up in Thamesmead, Thamesmead in Southeast London. You know, some people recognize it because it was in TV shows like The Misfits, or I think there was a movie many years ago, A Beautiful Thing, or it's featured in Clockwork Orange. And so I grew up in Southeast London and, you know, in my mind, I have this narrative of it being quite a tough um, upbringing there, you know, on reflection, when I look back, you know, I'm looking at, I'm looking back now through my eyes as an adult that's, that's been on this journey that I, I've had, and I see all the things that it lacked. Whereas I think if I was to be asked that question you know, many, many years ago, I would have had quite a different narrative because, you know, you make the most of, of what you've got. Um, so, you know, that's kind of not really an answer. That's more of a, a preface. Um, mm -hmm. But I think essentially, you know, so I grew up in, I was born in Greenwich, at Greenwich Hospital. That doesn't exist anymore. They knocked it down. Um, and, you know, growing up in Thamesmead, I feel like it was kind of hard in the sense that, you know, it's it felt quite like a, it was pretty racist, you know, and I'm trying to just 
dance around that but I you know I should just call it for what it is but um and I, I just think that was because just there was a lack of exposure kind of in that area. And so for a kid like myself, who is mixed race, biracial, you know, um, kind of as I am, you know, I think it was it was difficult. Um, and then that combined with growing up in a working class family, but going to school in a predominantly middle class area, you know, I feel like at quite a young, early age, I was made aware of what I was what I looked like or you know my race and I was made aware of like where I was from as in my class um and so I think I was always you know kind of constantly battling with those on some level um but on another level I think growing up as a kid there was super fun you know there was a core group of friends and we would play you know Atari or Sega Mega Drive or you know we would hang out and go to the adventure playground and um, there was a lot of open spaces there where we could just go and run um, and find ways of making money uh, and then kind of like come back at the end of the day. So I think, you know, when I look back at that ability as kids to go out in the morning and come back at night and that be totally fine and normal, you know, I think that's we're probably one of the last generations to uh, to have that happen. So, um you know, I guess we're just warming up here because I'm not really answering your questions, but I'm maybe giving you kind of more more context there. Yeah, this is good and for listeners as well. Um, it'll be just really nice to get to know you that way. And like you say, to to have the story as you say it now at the stage. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think the long story short is I'm I'm often now thinking about how my relationship is to my memory and to the way that we perceive, perceive things. So as I speak about them, I'm also kind of having that conversation with myself of like, you know, why would I mention this situation versus that situation? Or, you know, like how has my journey kind of changed the way that I feel or think about it or remember it as well? So, so that's interesting. I think it's fascinating. And I think, I don't know if it's kind of, when did, do you feel it's first started to shift for you? Because I find that it's, like you almost, or that's kind of how I've been feeling that I come to the point almost of what's true. Yeah. <laughs> because you remember, I, I guess you remember, like first you live some sort of kind of trauma or toughness. Then there's the denial maybe in your 20s or the anger. And then I find it as I got into my 30s that it hits home. You see it as an adult, not as a child anymore. And it hits home what really happened. Yeah. And you're like, oh, <laughs> that's interesting and then yeah everything shifts in your head suddenly yeah and then you become you know then you're in your 40s and you're like well now I have a choice like what do I choose to remember you know what's beneficial for me you know what do I want that narrative to be um how do I want that to live kind of uh and affect my life now so you know, and I think also I've lived these kind of like different lives, you know, growing up in London was was one particular chapter and then moving to Japan was a different chapter and then coming to New York and America was a very different chapter. So it's almost like these different lives and narratives that I've kind of been on through the, through this journey. So going back to that London narrative and then we'll move to the, the following ones. Um, when did you first discover the pen? Yeah. And creativity. And how did that link with you feeling what you've described before of being an outsider? 
Yeah. You know, I feel like I, I discovered the pen at the same time that we all did. It's like, you know, when I was a very young child and, um, no, I, I really love drawing and I'm a huge advocate for drawing because I think it's a gift that we're all given as children. You know, we all go out there as kids or we stay in as kids and we pick up a pen and we draw, we pick up a pencil and we draw and we don't question it. We don't think about it. And simultaneously, what that drawing or that ability is doing is, yes, cognitively, it's teaching us about kind of the world and and kind of physical things. But it's also, you know, it's a complete outlet to connect with yourself. And, you know, we, he touched on before we started on on the TED talk and, you know, and in that, in the talk I did, I, I mentioned that, you know, drawing allows us to connect our heart to our head, to our hand, and then to the exterior world. And so it is something that I encourage us all to keep doing, you know, and it's, it's incredible how many adults believe that they can't draw, but it's, of course you can draw because you did it as a two or three or four or five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten year old. It's something that we, we are given. It's a right that we're given. It's an ability that we're given that allows us to explicitly get the inside out and have that conversation with ourselves and, and, and drawing doesn't have to be a career, but it's definitely a tool that can help to create balance with ourselves. And, and so, you know, the answer to that question is more so that I never stopped drawing, you know, it's, it's been a tool that at a very young age, just like all of us, um, you know, I had the benefits of that and continue to do it. And, you know, I think for me at a younger age, you know, when you start to become like a young teenager, it was a, it was definitely an outlet. It was definitely something that was, as a young kid, not really in control of, of my environment or what was going on around me. I could pick up a pen and a piece of paper and have control over that. You know, I could escape through that. I could create world through that. I could have conversations through that I could create characters and give them names and superpowers and and you know homelands uh through that and so at that younger age it was definitely a way of of dealing with the environment but having some control and then as I got older it was a way to explore just all the questions that I had in my head and all the questions that I had of why are things like this and why are people treating me like this or treating these people like this and why doesn't this make sense and why doesn't that make sense and so kind of at a younger age the drawing was definitely more about trying to explore questions that you know I had no other means of trying to answer Mm -hmm. Um, and then eventually it became something that I just did and it was a part of me and you know that is is the thing that when I didn't know what to do next in life as a 16 year old or a 17 year old or an 18 year old, I, I was, you know, taken down this path of art school because it was connected to drawing. Um, and it, so it wasn't, you know, I never thought I wanted to be an artist. I never thought that I wanted to go to art school. It was more so that I've been doing this thing for so long and it kind of helps me navigate the world and ask these questions. And coincidentally that fits in with this path of going down um to to an art school and and so that's kind of what led me down that road there Mm -hmm. and do you remember from that time when the when it was very much about self-expression and discovery and understanding the world what what did your art look like then 
Was yeah, this the line driven or? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I when I look back and I have looked back at some of the early work, I, I believe it's all very much line driven and 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 it's still predominantly when I look back at the earlier work, it's still pretty much black and white, but it's definitely a lot darker. Um, you know, there's a lot more skulls and a lot more crosses and um there's actually there was you know there there were patches of color and experimentation you know there's lots of reds um there's also a lot of black and white but then there was experimentation where you know I I found earlier work or pictures of earlier work where you know I'm using different color spray paints and stencils or I'm stretching fabric or old bed sheets and making my own canvases and then drawing on them and so I definitely think when I look back it was um, really experimental you know culling up newspapers culling up different types of um, paper and and messing with you know kind of light and transparency Uh, but I think within all of those things I just mentioned there was a a strong presence of of line in, in all of those. Mm-hmm. that's fascinating isn't it that already at the young age kind of that red thread you yeah. found it already and then and, kind of it stayed with you and that's the great thing about being an artist or someone that is is creative that has a creative outlet it could be music it could be could be drawing in my case or, or making art because you know I think often that we have to go out there in the world and and be inspired and find ourselves from the outside but there, we all have a core and we all have a very strong identity that is already there that, you know, we often ignore. But as an artist, you are each year you're potentially making work. And then eventually when you get to a certain age, you can look back. And when you look back, you you find the recurring themes, the recurring lines, the recurring mediums, the recurring messages, the recurring questions. And that's essentially you at the core. So you, you're out there in the world thinking that you're making new work and discovering things and discovering yourself. But actually what you're doing is you're extracting. You're extracting yourself. You're extracting your fingerprint. You're extracting your identity. You're extracting who you are at the core. And, and often we ignore that. And so it's so nice to have that power of reflection where you can look back and you stop fighting it and you say, okay, this is me. Like this is, yes, the work can evolve and it can change mediums and it can change industries and it can be experimental. But at the core, this is what I'm trying to say in this lifetime as a creative person. And I've just wrote down quickly the line of when you mentioned that you start to, you stop fighting yourself. Because mm. I think that's just so powerful because whether it's drawing or it's, other things we want to do, but we're stuck in different, maybe um, not with careers that serve us or locations or people. Because we're still fighting ourselves. We're still kind of, you know, the intuition tells one thing and we kind of want to shut it up a bit and yeah. still just fit the mold or not really kind of rock the boat. And, and Well, that's, I think also that's just society, right? We, we've created this world where we are consistently fighting, you know, we've, we've, we're fighting with the environment and we're fighting with like toxic food or we're fighting with trying to be healthy and we're fighting with ourselves creatively. And, you know, we, we haven't created this framework around us where we can live in, 
in a place where it's balanced and it is healthy and um that's just the society you know that's the western society that that we've created and and i think you know i feel like we as a creative person you you do potentially touch on that you know everyone is doing their own different thing but i feel like you do ask questions more you know like why are we not uh teaching our kids like who they are at the core versus like what they want to be you know why aren't we providing good education to to people why aren't we making sure people eat healthy why aren't we banning like gmo crops and pesticides like why aren't we doing all of these things and you know um I just don't know if we know how to live without fighting or trying to kill things or trying to, um, you know, suppress things in in that way. And and so when you, when you are making things, I think that's when we're in like kind of balance with ourselves where we can express and explore and can question and, you know, the, that kind of um, is, is a natural place for us to be. And being in that natural place where art was the expression and the extracting of yourself and kind of finding that core. When you went to Camberwell and then Central St. Martins, could you keep doing that? Or was that being put in different categories or molded? Yeah. So, you know, it's funny when I think back. So I went to Camberwell College of Arts in 1999 and uh, I, did, I did my foundation there. And so, you know, Peckham looked very different back then than it, than it does now. But, you know, I think then it's, you know, it's, um, I would like to say yes to that. But I feel like the answer is, you know, in, in 1999, I had no idea of who I was and what my potential was or um, what I could do in the world. I was literally just surviving, I think, and just trying to do the next thing and trying to do it mm. well. Um, you know, also I was, you know, working my part-time jobs and going to art school, had no idea that I could ever be an artist, but I was just doing that because it was the next thing to do. Um, and so, you know, I wish, I, I don't know, you know, maybe if I had a clear path of this is, this is the path, Chantel, and this is how you can express your creativity. And, and, and this is like, you know, where things are balanced and, then, you know, it might be a different story, but I feel like naturally it was a really incredible place to find myself because of just the, the makeup of different people. And the, you know, I feel like what Campbell did for me is that it exposed me to, for the first time in my life, a variety of people from different backgrounds, from different countries, from different upbringings. And it taught me that it was okay to be different. It, it taught me that it was okay to be a weirdo. So I, I had kind of, um, you know, di- a, a different different lessons and, and different um, things that I took away from that. And did Central Summer Artists then continue that? Yes, I think to a certain degree, it, it, you know, it was an <laughs> amplification of that. So at Camberwell, you know, it was the first time I was in an environment where people had different colour hair, different colour clothes, um, you know, holes in their clothes, people were openly gay, you know, and, you know, now we have social media, so we're exposed to different people all the time. But back in 1999, growing up in Thamesmead, we we never, I never saw anyone, you know, that 
walked around with like death metal t-shirts on or had pink hair or admitted that they were gay or you know dressed differently or acted differently or was from anywhere different in any way like there was just no exposure you just didn't know that those people existed and and if they did exist then you know or if they did kind of come through your orbit in some way then they weren't treated that nicely and mm. so going to Camberwell was the first time I experienced that and then going to central St Martins was that even more amplified because we had even more foreign um foreign you know student international students um and so you know exposure is such a huge key um to unlocking just the amount of ignorance that we have in 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 places and so i'm so thankful that i was exposed to to those different things and those different people at that age and i think that's something that art school did and perhaps does very well because you know it, it kind of brings all the all, almost all the outcasts and the the, the people thinking differently uh, all and put you know plops them all in one place um, and so I think it, for that it's a kind of a fascinating thing. And once you started to be exposed kind of at Central St Martins to and Campbell like you say to people from different backgrounds different ideas and very expressive and kind of unafraid with how they are um, could you have stayed in London or do you feel now that going to Japan was the natural thing looking back? Yeah, I had to leave. I had to leave because mm. being from England, being from London, being mixed race, being working class, then going to, you know, one of the the, the fanciest art schools in the country, graduating with a first class honours, it showed me that there was a dead end for me. Like, yes, you can go to this school and you can get this kind of, you know, uh, grade or whatever. But then there was a ceiling. There wasn't anything after that for me because, and, and you know, maybe you can tell me or people can tell me now if it's changed. But back then, the art world extremely kind of uh, revolving around nepotism. And so there was no door or there was no way into an art world for me. And also, if I liked it or not, consciously or subconsciously, I'm a fabric of London at that time. I'm a fabric of England at that time. And what I mean by that is that consciously or unconsciously, I'm playing by the rules that exist, mm. the rules that we can see and the rules that we can't see. And so... I'm saying that, yes, this art world is governed by nepotism and like I would never have a chance there. But that's also because I never saw anyone that looked like me or was from where I was from doing what I wanted to do. You know, there were no models because I think very rarely those people existed. And mm -hmm. so so also like I'm playing into that because it's real and it exists. But it also meant that those are hurdles that psychologically um it existed for me and so I needed to go to somewhere that was so foreign and so different to everything I knew so that I could be in a place and find myself so that I could be in a place where no one was projecting onto me 
who they believed I should be or what they believed I should be. And I could be in a place where I wasn't living up to any of those stereotypes. Because I think we all play roles in our life when we are around familiar friends and families and environments and systems, we play a role. But when you go to somewhere that is completely foreign and completely unknown, there's no role for you to play. Now, all you can do is discover. You have to discover yourself. You have to find yourself. You have to get to know yourself. And I feel like I couldn't have done that anywhere else that was similar to the UK or similar to London. And, and you know, Japan, I didn't understand the language. I didn't understand the food. I didn't understand the culture. Um, everything was new and everything was a discovery. And I had to find out who I was in that time, in that moment. And so I, I think it was, you know, the best thing that I could have done ever for, for myself. Um, and then also, you know, I recognized that it was at a time where we didn't have Facebook, we didn't have Instagram, you know, we didn't have smartphones. And so I was completely cut off from those roles that I was playing in, in, in the UK, in London. Yeah, so it was a, in some ways more severe, but in some ways more freeing because there was nothing pulling you back in. Uh, which could really help. And I was wondering, do you remember your first week in Japan? (laughs) That first week when you got there? So my first week in Japan, so um, I I made a friend called Sakura and Sakura invited me to go and stay with her family. And what, you know, for me at that time, you know, I think this is like 2000 potentially. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to Japan. It's on the other side of the planet. You know, I saved up for a ticket. And I'm going to go for one month because I could not imagine flying halfway across the world and not staying there for like, you know, any, any time less than a month. So I, I committed to this and, and I flew there and her family lived in, uh, in Saitama in like this beautiful wooden house on, on like the side of a, a mountain. And I'm a kid coming from Thamesmead who is now like, in Japan, in this complete foreign country, this complete foreign city, uh, in a little wooden house on the side of a mountain in Saitama, there's like giant bugs flying around. You know, there's it's it's summer, so it's super hot. Um, I remember being really freaked out that like they didn't lock their doors or windows at night and having anxiety about that because, you know, you're like, you got to lock it. Someone's going to come in. Someone's going to rob you. Um, so everything was open. Um, and I think I just cried for the first week and I cried because I felt so lost and, you know, I was so far from everything I knew and there was no way of just like going back. And I think, when we are on, I was so uncomfortable. But what I see now is that we grow when we're uncomfortable. You know, we grow when we are exposed to things that are different. Um, and for me, that was so different coming from, you know, a council estate in southeast London, then suddenly being transported into this literally alien planet of like a little wooden house on the side of a mountain I'd never knew that 
Um, I never even knew that that existed. And, and so for me, I feel like that unlocked so many barriers or so many uh, facades that I've created internally. Um, and I'm, I'm so grateful for that experience. But yeah, to answer your question, I feel like I just cried for the first mm. week of, of going to Japan. But, you know, maybe to describe the second week of being there is that I would meet people and, you know, sometimes they spoke English, sometimes they didn't. But essentially they would say, where are you from? And I say, oh, I'm from London. And I say, oh, that's great. And that was it. That was it. And what they didn't realize is that was so freeing to me because it wasn't what are you? Where are your parents from? It wasn't loaded with some weird, like, I heard your accent and now I, I'm placing you in my head in some weird hierarchy. It wasn't that I saw the color of your skin and now I'm judging you of like where you're from um, or what you are. It was just literally like, oh, you're from London. Great. And I clearly wasn't Japanese and I was just clearly something other. And for me, that was so freeing um, and so refreshing and so helpful just to to not fit in, but to not fit in in a way where it was just that. Like it, it wasn't, you know, there was no nuance there. There was nothing wrapped up into it. Um, and so I think after coming back after that whole first month, my eyes were so open to knowing that there was something else. You know, I'd always suspected there was a world out there and that that world was different and that world had different rules and different ways of judging and seeing. And that was a complete confirmation that that world existed. And I think, you know, that trip was the the beacon or the thing that uh, grew in me that said, I need to go back to that place and I need to live there. Um, you know, so coming back, I had this seed planted of, you know, I need to go to Japan, I need to go to Japan, I need to go to Japan. And, and after that, everything was kind of about making that happen. Mm -hmm. And how long was it since you got back after a month to then move yes. there permanently? So I got back from a month and, you know, I'm, I'm at Central St. Martin, so I'm, you know, finishing off my, oh, okay. I, you know, I'm finishing off my degree there. And so I graduated from Central St. Martin's in 2003. And then I went and got, uh, uh, an, you know, a CELTA, um, a certificate in English language teaching um, oh, okay something, yeah some, something like that um so like I that, went and, yeah, yeah yeah I went and got a CELTA found a job in Japan and then you know a few months later I moved and and that was that and then that was like the next kind of five years of my life out there um but yeah you know I, I look back and you know you obviously miss a lot of things culturally uh you know you miss a lot of friends and family having children or getting married and um but I do think it was such an incredible experience to go there and live this different life and be a part of a different culture and, you know, um, just be somewhere where you get to more and more just discover who you are. And um, so I'm, I'm so thankful for that experience. And how did that discovery and kind of those walls crumbling really fast of what you were supposed to do or kind of people labeling you how did that translate or affect your art yeah you know what I think 
it affected me in many ways. So the art or the work that I was creating in, in, in England at that time, you know, it was very angry. It was very lost. Um, you know, when I look back, I, I look back at that work and I was like, wow, this kid should have been in therapy you know, this, <laughs> because, because, you know, they were dealing with so many things. And, but I'm, when I look back and I, you know, I look from kind of myself back at that child that was myself or that young adult that was myself, like, yes, I think they should have been in therapy, but therapy, but I'm also so happy that they had an outlet, you know, mm. um, I wrote a bunch, I drew a bunch, it was very dark, it was very angry, it was very lost. And then going to Japan, and now I can look back at that work, I can see that I left some of that baggage behind. The work became, became lighter, it became, you know, if I was to describe it, I describe it as uh, creepy and cute. So like mm-hmm. the anger <laughs> left slowly, because I didn't feel angry at Japan. I didn't feel angry at Tokyo. Tokyo and Japan and the people there didn't do anything to me. They weren't controlling my environment. They didn't put me in the family that I was from. They didn't put me in the class that I was from. They didn't, you know, they didn't do anything to me. And so I, in a way, had this fresh canvas to to explore creatively. And so the work definitely became a lot more detailed. The work became a lot less angry. The work became a little bit cuter. The work became more about observation of just the world. Um, the work became a little bit more hopeful in in a way. Um, and then also just, you know, I started to, I started a career as a VJ there, visual jockey, creating live drawn digit, visual and, and uh, analog um, kind of drawings. And so, that became, you know, it presented this world outside of me where it's, I'm not just drawing in the sketchbook, I'm drawing for an audience, I'm drawing for people, um, I'm experiencing connection, I'm experiencing um, this shared environment that is just coming from here, but it's going there. And so I think that taught me the potential of drawing and connecting and sharing um and so so that that was magical there um so yeah it's been a really interesting evolution of of the work um kind of changing like that but you know I as I said I'm so thankful that I had that outlet in the first place to to get that out that's incredible and you know when you were saying about like looking at works old works now and looking that and saying that the you know that child should be in therapy I laugh because that's how I feel about what I've done as a child. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I was a kid, kind of just loved drawing and everything would be really traumatized. But I'd show it to my <laughs> mom and she'd say, oh, you know, but she doesn't really like it. Yeah. Um, and then becoming an adult, I started to think, mom, you should have like, that was a sign, that was a signal from coming from like 13 year old of like little like hanging dolls just being half dead. It's like, we should have done something about that, you know? But that's, it's fascinating, like you say, to have that world pouring out so that it's not just stuck inside you. Yeah. I I always found that if it's out, it's out. So you're a bit lighter inside because you've you've let it out. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and, you know, for your mum, like the, you know, 
having parents understand the responsibility of when you tell your child like no or I don't like it or it doesn't feel right um you know and they're not allowing the child to creatively just express themselves you know and 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 encouraging that because it is an outlet um or even questioning like why they're creating the things because it you know as as I was saying earlier it's a way of extracting what's going on inside outside so you know I, I feel like you know creatively it's a way as as kids or young people that we explore kind of this like the dark stuff that's going on and you know if there is no other help or if there is no adult saying hey like what's going on here or like hey like you know keep doing that because it's obviously helping you you know and um so i think it's also our responsibility to encourage um or to to uh, sometimes look a little bit deeper into the answers that we're putting on paper as as young people yeah and i think that at the time my mom was just scared of what was coming out because <laughs> yeah, like yeah. she didn't she didn't know how to deal with her own things and then her like nice you know child is like showing yeah. the creepy stuff I feel like I don't know what to do with this stop drawing stuff. Um, but I think that's changing as well with how we now approach mental health and how mm-hmm. the, the conversation around it is just much more open. Um, yeah. While like back in the day, it was um, not, as you must yeah. have experienced, it just wasn't the case. And even as an adult, you know, I think even still to this day, you know, there is a stigma in the UK about, you know, talking to someone or going to get a counsellor or or having a therapist. Whereas, you know, in America, like everyone has a therapist and everyone is in counselling and and everyone is talking to someone once a week or once a fortnight. Um, And, you know, I, I often feel like it's this British thing of like, just, you know, I'll deal with it and I'll get on with it. Um, but it comes out in certain ways and it catches up with you eventually. And so, you know, I encourage everyone, you know, talk to someone, you know, if you're having issues or you've had a troubling childhood or background or experiences, you know, you need to get that stuff out and you need an outlet. Um, and, uh, and it's a huge tool that is out there and accessible to all of us. I completely agree with you. Um, and that brings me nicely to one of the like favorite projects um, of yours, which is the May Room. Mm. And I'd love you to describe it. And for me, when I saw it, it's 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 brought me to like thoughts about spirituality, about um, hope, kindness as well, meditation, philosophy, um, and it showed it made me feel very warm and safe essentially, even yeah. just looking at the images. Um, so why don't you tell us more about, about that project? It's so funny. I was just going to be like, oh, that's one of my favorite projects too. And then I remembered this was for, <laughs> for a British audience and you shouldn't say that you like your own work, you know, or praise yourself. But, um, but I'm, you know, I'm in America. We're past so that. Like, Come on. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, but it is one of my favorite projects. And so the, the May Room, it, is located on Governor's Island, which is a little island just south of Manhattan, New York. And, you know, I I believe it it used to be, uh, you know, it's it's had many different lifetimes, but at some point it was a base. And so they have all of these different buildings that people used to live there and there's an old school there. But, you know, there, there is the trust of Governor's Island that have brought the whole island back to life and no one lives there you know it's just a place that people go and they work and or they go to school um and so there was an old chapel our lady star 
And it was decommissioned, I think, 25 years ago. So it's just been sitting there empty and, you know, it had some damage there from uh, Hurricane Sandy a few years ago. And so I was invited by the the Trust of Governors Island to, to come in and do something on the island. And they didn't know what and I didn't know what, but they said, come out and see if something kind of resonates. And then I saw this, you know, this this white chapel, this at, made out of wood. And I was like, that's it. And coincidentally, I've been wanting to do this project for a long time where I've wanted to create a place that is all that I knew is that I wanted to create a place that was for freedom and contemplation and poetry and was a place without power, a a place where you could unplug and become calm and be with yourself. And so when I saw the, the chapel, I was like, this is it. This, this is that space that I've been wanting to create. And so to describe it, you know, it's I've I've drawn on all the outside, so you know it's it's all painted white. So I've, I've drawn you know my black kind of signature line work around the outside, and then when you walk in, you you know I wrote on the floor, please remove shoes. Um, so you take your shoes off, you leave the outside outside, and then you walk in, and and it's essentially like a a complete massive white room that is covered in black and white drawings, but. On the floor, there's a drawing that is in the form of a maze. So, you know, you got your shoes off and then you start following these lines around the floor. And then you realize that, oh, I'm becoming a little bit calmer. You know, I'm not thinking about all those things because now I'm unplugged and I've took my shoes off and, and uh, I'm kind of recalibrating with myself. And then you start to notice on the walls that the walls are full of drawing, but they're also full of letters And then the calmer that you become, you realize that, no, these letters create phrases. And then you become even calmer, and then you're able to piece these phrases together. And they are, they they make lots of maids. You know, may you be kind, may we save trees, may you sleep soundly, may you find love, may you, may you, may we. And it feels like these maids are like well wishes that essentially are rising from you or falling into you. And, and you know, there's also these um, sculptural seats that are in the form of letters that I've created that are dispersed around the space that create a few different words as well. And so that's essentially it. You know, it's this very peaceful space where you come in and, and you have this experience with yourself and, and you take in these positive well wishes and it's been really nice. I've activated it also with voice. You know, I work with the um, Poetry Society of America there to to do poetry readings and, you know, kind of activate it in the way that it was created for, the way that that space was made for. And, and what's really nice as well is that it still has uh, the stained glass windows that were there beforehand. And so... At a certain type in the day, certain time in the day, you have this beautiful, colorful light that just shines in and, and crosses across all this black and white lines. And it's such a nice juxtaposition between the outside and the inside and, and black and white and color. And um, yeah, it's it's definitely one of my favorite projects. And I'd love to, you know, potentially like recreate it in some way because I think there is a benefit for these spaces of immersion that are about self and being quiet 
versus coming in and waving your arms around and you know being overstimulated I feel like we have enough of that in our lives so I'm, I'm really proud of that in in the sense that I've seen so many people benefit from it I've seen so many people go in and spend you know an hour sitting in there or I see these kids that come in and and it's even funny but the, the kids they come in and they naturally know that, that you know they're meant to like run around the lines or walk around the lines but but it's also funny seeing the children go in there you know when I go and kind of spy on people um the the children are very quiet in there they they enjoy it and and they play in there, but they're also very calm and they're very quiet. So it's kind of nice to see how the space affects them in a way as well. That's really beautiful. And like you say, I think we really need those spaces, those spaces that don't really want anything from us, but give to us or kind of leave us alone. And especially spaces that are, that are like that, that are secular, that are yeah. not linked to religion if you don't feel religious, but yeah. ones where you can go in you can be with others but you don't need to speak so you can yeah. have that kind of community and I really love the idea of kind of different layers whereby like you say there's the maze and then there are patterns and then as people start to relax and bring their mind to the present moment they start to see the phrases as well yeah and I, I feel like projects or spaces like that they're very generous you know like you said they they give something they're not taking any any energy away from you um, but they, they're giving you something that we is very hard and rare to find uh, in most places or activations or spaces that we go out into in the world right now absolutely and moving to the main room we're suddenly in the American part of your career aren't we in that chapter yes yes <laughs> exactly so <laughs> um and we could chat forever as well, but I don't want to take too much of your time because it's absolutely fine, bye. Um, but could you tell us a bit more about kind of how long have you been in the States for now? And what, how is that different to the London chapter, to the Japan chapter? Yeah, so I've, I moved here in 2009. Um, so I was in Japan from 2003 to 2009. And then I moved here to, in 2009. And so I've been here since. And actually, um, last year, I had my first career museum retrospective show, which was at the New Britain Museum of American Art. So technically, I've done the bulk of my career now in America uh, and am considered an American artist, which, which was interesting. But I feel like if I was to sum up those chapters, London, you know, the UK, it's about discovery, it's about finding self, it's very dark, it's very angry, it's more of an outlet, it's asking questions. And then I go to Japan and it's equally internal, you know, very um, kind of intimate, detailed drawings that are almost diaristic and exploring the world, um, observing the world but also exploring my space in the world and then externally you know the the, the vj in is collaborative it's bold it's bright it was digital um it, it was uh, surrounded by lots and lots of people and you know that's the chapter of me just really finding myself and then the new york chapter is 
now that I kind of have an idea about myself, it's about growing in that confidence. And the word, the work becomes less digital and more analog and more about being confident and bold and about scale and about immersion and bringing people in in a very different way, in a more physical way. So in Japan, you know, there will be hundreds of people dancing in a club where I'm doing in, doing visuals. But in the U.S., there people be people coming into a building where you know I've I've done the floor or the walls or created a a physical installation there. So so it's 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 interesting having the ability to look back at these different chapters. And see, you know, this kind of like lost, angry chapter, finding self chapter. Now I have this confidence, and I'm bold, and I'm growing chapter. And you know, I think right now I'm in this chapter of like knowing but unknowing. You know, okay, I I know all the work that I've done and all the collaborations I've done, and I know everything that it took me to be here today. But what is the model, and where am I going with this? You know. It's very easy sometimes to struggle and just try and just figure out like the day-to-day stuff that you're trying to do and that you're trying to achieve. But once you've elevated or pushed through or grown through or you know survived that period, now it's like, okay, I have all of this and what do I do with it? And then there's that a little bit, of, I feel like I'm in this space where it's not about any of that. It's about there's a little fear in the sense of, wow, I have all of this stuff. And now really what is my potential? Because if I did all of this, what's next? And then there's a fear of not being able to get to that next thing because you're almost like you feel like you're back in the same place. So it's an interesting chapter that I'm in now and I'm curious to see where it goes or how I grow. Um, you know, or how the struggle changes. And do you think it will show itself kind of as you keep drawing as it was earlier on? Or do you have ideas or feelings, intuition around where you'd like to take it? Yeah, I think now it's just more about building. You know, I'm very aware of self and my place in this world. Um, what I've never really had or what I've not been strong at is being able to build a team from that you know Mm -hmm. I think often very a lot of us are like well if I can do it I'll do it by myself you know because you come from a place where if people don't care then why would they help you you know so then if people don't care then I do it by myself and now I'm in a position where it's like well people care so then I should trust that I don't need to do it by myself Mm -hmm. and if I want to reach that potential it has to be a group effort it has to be a team effort Um, there's only so much that you can do as an artist by yourself there's only so much that you can do as an individual by yourself and and now it requires a different type of openness uh, an openness of trust an openness of um, delegation you know an openness in in um, assuring yourself that you know, things will be okay when, when you open them up and, and when you share um, that, that experience and kind of, so it's, you know, we're always growing and we're always kind of 
um, you know, exploring perhaps different insecurities or barriers or hurdles that we and have. And different with, vulnerabilities with as well, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and and different vulnerabilities that we have. And so, you know, I've I dealt with a lot of different vulnerabilities and different insecurities and different uh, barriers. And so this is, you know, where I am at now. So you're, you're kind of, you know, your, your insecurities meet you where you're at. And so this is where mm. I'm at now. And so this is the next growth. This is the next chapter. This is the next thing to explore. And as you move into that chapter, um, just before we started to record, you told me that you're going to be in London soon. Yes, yes. All fingers crossed. Yeah, so, you know, all fingers crossed. um, I will be spending most of the month of October in in London. And I'm so excited about this because I've not been to London for a couple of years and I've definitely not been there for longer than a week in, you know, since 2003, which is crazy. That Uh, is crazy. (laughs) So, so in, in October, I'm I'm coming out for the Golden Vines Award, which is a a, a charity that is in the wine sector, which, you know, is helping to bring more diverse voices in, into that industry. Um, But then simultaneously, I'm going to do a, a very belated book launch for my book lines, which I released, um, last year which was published by Henny which is a actually a UK publisher and then I'm so excited to be collaborating with a very old I, I wouldn't say very old but you know a 10 year long collaborator of mine Ben Sheppy and me and Ben met uh, back in the day in, in Japan and have continued to be friends and and um, you know I think recently the whole world of like NFTs uh, brought us back together and um so so we're looking into you know having a show there kind of towards the end of October so you know by the time that this goes out we'll share all of those dates and and uh you know if you're listening to this you know hope to see you at at some of those events but but I think ultimately I'm excited to be in the UK it's been far too long amazing and you're coming for a bit longer than a week this time yeah yeah three weeks probably three weeks maybe even a little bit longer I can't wait Excellent. And when the podcast is out, we'll I'll put links in show notes so that we can click on the links, RSVP to whatever we're invited to as well. And I have one final question for you. And actually, it's um, asking you for advice for what would you say to a person who is now finding yourself in a situation that you found yourself in, where you felt like an outsider, but in a negative meaning of that word? Mm. Um if they feel like an outsider and they don't feel good about it and they feel a bit stuck? Yeah. You know, that it's a big question. And for me, it's a, when you feel like an outsider and you feel stuck or you feel a little bit lost, you know, I feel like, you know, my advice there would be to find a creative outlet, you know, for me, you know, it was drawing, it was collaborating, it was connecting. Um, for you, if you're out there, it, it might be singing, it might be dancing, it might be coding, it might be reading. It, there, there, there is a creative outlet that you will feel passionate about, you know, that you will start to find your place or yourself in that outlet. And I think when we do that, that builds confidence within ourselves because, 
hey, like I might feel like an outsider here, but within this passion, this is something that I love and I have a place, you know? And I feel when we find our place in a creative outlet, and I use the word creative loosely, this, you know, creative doesn't mean the, the arts. It, it It's something that is absorbs your time and that you love to do when you find that you start to build confidence in yourself and then you understand that it's okay to be an outsider it's okay to be a weirdo it's okay to often not fit in because those are the types of minds and people that we need in the world Um, and often we're taught that there's something wrong with us if we're an outsider but there are many of us outsiders out there and collectively we are a group and we are together. And so, you know, I think long story short, gravitate towards the thing that you feel passionate about and that will in turn give you the confidence to understand that you are where you need to be, you know? That's beautiful and so powerful. (laughs) Yeah. And, and was there a two part question there? I think, you know, that was like the first bit. Um, was there a second half to that question? No, that was a question. That was okay, a question. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Ending yeah. on the note that you are exactly where you're meant to be. Yeah. It's a nice mantra. You know, we are all in the right place at the right time, you know, and, and, and at times and often it can feel like that is not the case, but you know, this will lead you to something else and, and then we'll look back and it will make sense. Brilliant. Thank it, you so yeah. much, Chantel. Thank you so much for your time. And yeah. me, together with podcast listeners, will be coming to the events in October. Amazing. <laughs> so we'll see you very soon. Cool. Well, thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing you all in October. Amazing. Right, how are you feeling? Elated, inspired, loving your own outsideness? Um, Chantal is a total inspiration and I really love that conversation. She's in London this month with an exhibition side by side together with her pal Ben Sheppy. The exhibition opens on the 22nd of October at the newly opened Design District um, in Greenwich. And I've included information about it in the show notes. So make sure you're there. And that's all for this episode. And there's so much more good stuff coming. So if you want to stay in touch, make sure you're subscribed to the pod. And if you follow our newsletter link in the show notes, actually, you can also subscribe to get weekly email updates with the when the new episode drops. And as always, you can keep in touch with me on Instagram at Justina Green. Right. Bye for now.